Growing up, it seemed like there were two ways to learn something. Every now and then, there would be a, a friend of mine, a child, not, not often, but every now and then, a, a friend of mine would, would do something wonderful, would do something of exemplary character, you know, and just, just a, be a good kid. And, and my parents would point out that child, and they would say, you ought to be a little more like him. Or maybe more like, why can't you be more like him? And that was, that was one way to learn things. The other way to learn things is sometimes uh, a child would be doing something wrong. It might have been one of your kids, in fact. And my parents would see what that child was doing. And they would nudge me and they would say, you better never let me catch you doing that. Now, I never met the man, but I'm told that my grandfather, Raymond Tolan, had a particular phrase with his children. Uh, my Uncle Johnny has told me this before, that every now and then Raymond would see a kid doing something that they shouldn't do, and Raymond would kind of give Johnny a nudge and say, if I ever catch you doing something like that, I will smack you so hard your kids will walk funny. Positive examples or negative examples, which ones do we learn from better? You know, as, as we get older, I think we start, we start looking for those positive examples. We look for role models, you know? We look for people to, to look up to and people we want to be like. And so we start looking for those role models. And we find our heroes and we want to pattern our lives after them. But we can't miss that we learn a lot from, well, cautionary tales. We learn a lot from the mistakes of other people. I read Aesop's fables a lot when I was a kid. I, I always enjoyed Aesop's fables. And I think back over Aesop's fables, and there's not a single positive one in, in the whole mix. It's, it's all these people who did something wrong. You know, there's King Midas, and there's, uh, there's all these others, the, the fox and the crow. It's always somebody who's doing something wrong and what we learn from their mistakes. In fact, the... The Bible tells us that there are, there are bad examples out there, and, and we can learn a lot from that. Paul, Paul says as much. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about the, the bad examples from the Old Testament, the, the grumblers and complainers, the people who did wrong. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. And it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they, woke up, they, they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We read that verse 13. 
We read it to comfort ourselves in some difficult times, and we say, you know, God is faithful. You know, God's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And, and then we read that verse as though it's an encouragement, but the reality is it's tied to verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you got this figured out. You think you know what's going on. You think you've got this life you know, down to a T. You be careful lest you fall something for us to learn from some very bad examples. And I, th- I can think of no place better for us to begin with than, well, with the original bad seed, uh, to learn something from Cain and Abel. We're going to look today at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. If you're using the Bibles there in the pews, it's page 3. You can't miss it. Genesis, first book of the Bible. Look for the big number four. That's the chapter. We're going to be in Genesis chapter four. Before I get there, let's be honest. Let's be really honest with each other here for just a moment. You know how sometimes you see a little kid, and you, you, see, you see a little kid, and you, you look at his eyes, and you just know, you know right from that first look, that's a bad kid. You ever, you ever notice that? Come on, let's be honest. Every now and then, I know we want to say, oh, Brett, but they're all so sweet. You know, all kids are angels and, and all of them are precious. But every now and then, you see a little kid, you'll come across a little kid and you say, that is a bad kid. That kid has mischief all over his face. That kid is not a good kid. That kid is trouble. And you got to watch that kid, right? You got to be careful. I think it's the bow tie, but the red jacket doesn't help either, does it? That's a bad kid. And you read that, you look at that, you go, oh, you got to keep an eye on that one. You know, he, don't let him in that. He'll burn something down. You got to be careful of that one. I think about Eve. Eve had no idea what a rotten kid looked like, did she? Eve had no clue what a rotten kid looked like. And when she gave birth to Cain, her firstborn son, she thought he was perfect. Like any other mother, she thought her, ba- her baby boy was the best baby boy, well, best baby boy ever, obviously, she thought that he was perfect. In fact, you know, you go back and you look at, you look at chapter 3 when, when Adam and Eve sin and God, uh, God pronounces the curse on, on Adam and Eve and, well, on all of us, and, and he also pronounces the curse on the serpent. And the, the curse on the serpent in verse 15 of chapter 3 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. You and, you and the woman are going to be enemies between your offspring and her offspring. Now, who was her offspring? Well, her first offspring was Cain. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so when we read the first verse of Genesis chapter 4, we read it thinking about that curse and thinking about the promise that God had made to Eve that she would have a child, that a child would come from her who would bruise that serpent's head, who would crush that serpent. A child would come that would be her hero. A child would come that would be her savior. And so in in that first verse of chapter 4, you hear the the expectation that she's got, that that she's got a good boy, that this boy is going to save her, this boy is her hero. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel 
was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, the sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Paul says these things took place as examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did. He says they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So what can we learn from Cain's mistake? I think his story leads us to ask three questions of ourselves, three questions that we ought to be concerned with. The first question is, are we giving God our best? Are we giving God our best? You know, so it was just a few weeks ago, someone asked me the question. They said, what's the big deal with Cain and Abel? What's, what's the big deal with Cain's offering? Why did God reject it? You know, what, what's the point? And, and the text tells us that Abel kept sheep. You know, he was a shepherd. And Cain worked the ground, so he was a farmer. So it seems natural that when it came time to present an offering to God, that Abel brought the sheep that he had that he had raised, and Cain brought the fruit of the ground. That just seems logical. Each man brought what he had. But then we get down into verse 4, and it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So, so what's the difference between those two offerings? It's not until well towards the end of the Bible that we, we get a little more understanding. If you looked in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 tells us, by faith, by faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I think the very first thing you see is that Abel's offering took faith. Abel gave God the firstborn from his flocks. Now, you don't bring God the firstborn after you've had a few more. You bring God the firstborn when the firstborn is born. That's when you bring him the firstborn. You don't wait until you got ten lambs and say, okay, go pick out the, the, the oldest one and cut his throat and offer that to God. You give God the firstborn when the firstborn is born. That's when you do that. It's given in faith. It's given in trust, knowing that God asks for my best. And so I'm going to give God my best. It's not given as an obligation. It's not given just to appease God. It's not given to, to gain God's favor, to buy his favor. But then you, you look at the response. It says in verse 5 that, that Cain was angry. Cain was angry with God for his rejection. He was angry with his brother for his acceptance. And it all should cause us to stop and ask of ourselves, are we giving God our best? Are we giving him our best? 
Every now and then you hear one of those stories that just makes you cringe. Every now and then you hear a story about a church that, that just kind of makes you cringe. And, and I heard this story years ago. I couldn't tell you where it took place. I heard the story years ago that there was a, there was a missionary family. They're out on the mission field. And like a lot of missionaries, like the missionaries that we support, they received uh, their income from the support of, of churches back in the state. And so they would receive money and gifts from the church. They also received supplies from the, church back in the churches back in the state. One day, this family, the, the wife, gets a big padded envelope in the mail. And it's come from one of the churches back in the state. So she tears open that envelope, and inside, inside the envelope are tea bags. Used tea bags. And what had, what had happened was some ladies in a church in the States, had, they had had a ladies' tea social. They had a little tea party in their church. And so the ladies in this church had a little tea party, right? And, uh, and they got done with the tea party, and they carefully took their tea bags, and they dried them off. And then they put them all in an envelope and mailed them to the missionaries overseas with a little note that said, we enjoyed our tea party, and we want to include you in our tea party. So consider this a way for you to have a cup of tea with us. Maybe it's just me. Does, does that sound like a good idea to anyone? It, no one, you guys wouldn't want someone's used tea bag that, that had been shipped overseas, that had spent maybe a few weeks in the mail department, you know, and going from post office to post office, going on ships, on planes, until it finally got... You wouldn't want used tea bags? You wouldn't want that? I mean, maybe, maybe if they had bought a box of tea bags, I think maybe you get about 100 tea bags in a box, and then cut it, you know, split it in half, and said, okay, half of these go to the missionary, and half of them go to us, and, and we'll, just, we'll just split the tea bag. And that would have been a great idea, I think. I think that would have been a perfect way to do that. But it really makes me stop and think... Would you give Jesus a used tea bag? I mean, if Jesus came to your house and you decided you were going to entertain Jesus and you were going to give him some tea, would you say, here, Jesus, this tea bag was fine when I had it. <laughs> if you squeeze it hard, I think there's still some flavor in there. And, and give Jesus a, this, this used tea bag. You wouldn't do that. You would give him your best. You would give him the, the, the best tea that you've got. Whatever you've got that's the best, you would give that to Jesus. But the story causes me to ask myself a question. Have I ever given God less than my best? Have I ever given my leftovers to Jesus? Have I ever given him anything less than my best? When I, when I come to church on Sunday morning and I'm only half here because I've wasted my energy on Saturday night in an argument with my wife, not that I ever do that. That's just an example. <laughs> but let's suppose it were to happen. But if I come to church on Sunday morning and my heart's not here because I've got something against someone else, because I'm nursing a grudge against somebody else, am I giving him my best? When I come to him and, and I'm not giving him my all, have I ever withheld my time?
from God because there's something else that I want to do? Have I ever approached offering time and when the plate comes by me, I'm just throwing in whatever's left over after my great weekend that I treated myself to? Have I ever done that? Like Cain, it's not a matter of the offering itself, really. It's not really a matter of of the offering. It's a matter of the heart. I have to look at my heart. Am I giving my resources? Am I giving my resources out of faith because I trust God? Because I trust what God is going to do? Because I believe that He knows best. He knows best for my time. He knows what's best for my energy, for my resources, for my money, for my tea bags. (laughs) I think another lesson from Cain's example really calls our faith even deeper. Another question that we have to ask is, are we giving God our best for everyone's best? Am I giving God my best for everyone's best? Or is it all about me? Is it just about me? The reality is, if I have faith in giving, if I have faith that I am giving God what he wants, if I have faith enough to give God what he wants and give God my best, then it might mean that I'm going to have to give God more than what I do on my own. In fact, let me just go ahead and say it. It will definitely mean that I'm going to give God more than what I can do on my own and what I alone have. If I am giving God my best, then that means I have to make sure that you can give God your best too. I have to make opportunities for you to give to God as well. We're not given a lot of specifics in this story, but if if you read the whole Bible, if you read the whole thing, one of the things that you see over and over again in the Bible is that sacrifice requires blood. Blood is required of sacrifice. There is no, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And whether that's Abel's sacrifice of a newborn lamb or whether that's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the lesson is sacrifice requires blood. That lesson points us to Jesus. So, so Cain, Cain was a worker of the ground. He was a farmer. Abel, it was Abel who kept flocks. For Cain to give God what was acceptable, for Cain to give a proper sacrifice to God, he couldn't do it on his own. He couldn't just give God what he had. He had to go to his brother. From from the way the story plays out, I really think it was pride. Cain was proud of what he had. It It was pride that kept him from doing right. It was pride that kept him from giving God what he wanted. But was it also fear? Was it also fear that that what he had wasn't good enough? Or that what he had wasn't what God really wanted? What we really see is that Cain's gift was broken because Cain was broken. Cain had a broken relationship with his brother. Cain had a broken relationship with his God and a broken understanding of who God is. And for us, it's, it's a reminder. We don't just give on our own. We give in partnership with others. It's easy for us to concentrate on just giving to what we want. It's easy for us to concentrate on just giving to to what we like and doing what what we want with our gifts. Uh, 
we might have our own little pet projects that we want to give to. But the call of God is to recognize that we are a part of something bigger than just ourselves. And we are a part of something bigger than just what we have, just what's in our bank accounts, just what's within our talents. We are a part of something bigger, and we have to give in reflection of being a part of something bigger. The call of God is to recognize we are a part of something bigger. You know, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but even if you didn't know this was in the Bible, this is in the Bible. This is one of those things that you hear every now and then. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, <clears throat> but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You're like, oh, that's where that comes from. Yeah, that's from the Bible. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, <clears throat> this is a tough point here, and, and I was going to kind of make sure you're paying attention. Do you think Cain was a cheerful giver? No. Cain wasn't cheerful in what he was giving. Cain was not a, a cheerful giver in that. And it's not just about the gift. It, it's about the heart. And if you read on down into verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I want to read that again. Make sure you hear that. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Some of you want to hear that. Some of you want to hear that all sufficiency as saying enough money, enough resources. It's not just about having enough money to give. And there's some people who tell me, you know, once... Once I get out of debt, then I can be generous. Once I get out of debt, then I can help other people. Once I get out of debt, then I'm going to start giving more. Once I get a better job, then I can do more for God. When I get a better job, I can do more for the church. When, I get, when I'm retired, when I'm finally retired, then I will show up. I'll be here. I, I will. I'll be here once I'm retired. But that all-sufficiency starts out as sufficient faith and sufficient grace. Do you trust God to give? Do you want to trust God to give? Cain's broken relationship with his brother kept him from giving God his best. And you know, you, you read down a few verses later, verses 8 and 9, Cain's broken relationship with his brother kept God or kept Cain from giving God what was his best. And then in verses 8 and 9, we read down, it says, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what? Yes, he was. He, he was his brother's keeper. It's not my day to watch him. Yes, it is. 
You are your brother's keeper. You are here to care for your brother. He, he was his brother's keeper. If my gift to God does not bless other people, if it doesn't bless my brother and sister, if it doesn't bless the church, then no matter what I give, no matter how much time, no matter how much money I give, it's wrong. If all God wanted was sacrifice, then by all means, build a fire in your backyard, take 10% of whatever's in your bank account, and burn it. If all God wants is a sacrifice, just go ahead and give it back to Him. If your gift isn't blessing someone else, it's not going to bless you. And it's not going to honor God. Cain's example takes us to a very hard question that we have to ask. we're not giving God our best, then what else are we going to take from it? If we're not giving God our best, then what else will we take from God? I think the biggest clue for us about the problem with Cain's offering is, is in the descriptions here. Abel brought the firstborn from his flocks. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 9 tells us, or verse 19 God says there, the firstborn are mine. The firstborn from your flocks, the firstborn from your herds, the firstborn of your sheep, the firstborn of your cows, the firstborn is mine. The thing about giving God, and I said this earlier, I want to say it again, the thing about giving God your first is you don't wait until you've got the whole herd to give God your first. You don't wait until you've got your last. You don't wait until you've got 10 new baby lambs and then you say, okay, God wants 10% of this. God wants the first, so let's take the first one. No, you, you take that first lamb. It's, it's horrible for you and I to think about, but you take that first lamb and you cut the throat and you give that back to God. You spill the blood and you give God trusting that he's going to provide for you. Verse 4 says Abel gave God his firstborn of his flocks and their fat portions. Now, their fat portions would be not just the first, but the best, the biggest. He gave God the best. And it's a subtle wording, but all it says of Cain is that Cain gave God an offering. Not, not his first, not his best. Cain gave God an offering. If you're reading the NIV, I think it's a little more apparent there because the NIV says Cain gave God some of the harvest that he had, some of the fruit of his harvest. It, it was nothing special. There's nothing special about what Cain gave. And so you see God's response. Verse 4, the second half of verse 4, it says, And the Lord had regard, the Lord had regard, for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. When we don't give God our best, he notices. When we don't give God our best, he, he notices. We might be able to fool a few other people. We might be able to pull the wool over someone else's eyes, but when we don't give God our best, he notices. It's not about, it's not about what we're doing to him. It's about what we're doing to us. What are we doing to ourselves when we don't give God our best? Verses 6 and 7 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? 
Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If we're not giving God our best, then what else will we take from Him? Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, then I will trust you with the bigger things. If you're faithful in a few things, I will trust you with more things. How often do we withhold from God because we stop and think to ourselves, it's no big deal. You know, it's, it's no big deal. It, it's just a little time. It's, it's just a little money. It's just a little faithfulness. No one's going to notice. No one's going to miss my contribution. No one's going to miss me. No one's going to miss what I do here. God says, if you do well, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And I want you to hear that because sometimes we get that wrong. It doesn't say, if you do not do well, if you withhold from God, God's going to get you. <laughs> doesn't say God's going to get you. doesn't say that, that God will get you and he will punish you and he will curse you. It says you curse yourself. You curse yourself when you hold back from God. Cain's withholding from God gave birth to anger, and that anger gave birth to murder. But you can't miss what came with the anger. It doesn't just say Cain was angry. It says his face fell. There was no joy in what Cain was doing. You got to watch your joy. You got to protect your joy. You got to guard your joy. Don't let anyone steal your joy from you. You got to guard that. Because when your face falls and you lose joy in what we're doing here, the enemy's already got you. The enemy has already taken you. You know, I'm going off notes here for a minute, so just be with me here. Just bear with me for a moment. You think Satan wants you in hell? You think Satan wants you in hell? Satan doesn't want you in hell. Hell is the last thing Satan wants for you. Did you get that? Get that? Hell is the last thing Satan wants for you. He's not interested in sending you to hell today. That's the last thing he wants. The Bible says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I come so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What's the enemy want to steal? He doesn't want to steal, he doesn't want to steal you away to hell yet. He wants to steal your joy. You've got to protect your joy. That's why I tell you, joy's not based on the things that you have. Joy's not based on how much you can give, how much you can do. Joy is based on that relationship that you have with God. And if the enemy can steal that relationship, if he can steal your joy, if he can take the fun, just suck the fun out of what we do together, he's already made your life hell here. And you'll gladly follow him wherever. Don't let him steal your joy. Cain's face fell. Don't let him take your joy. Verse 13, if you go on down into verse 13. When, when God has, has told Cain, here's your punishment. Here's what you have now. 
verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. This, this punishment is, is greater than I can bear. He went from withholding a gift to God, which was probably no big deal. God's not going to miss it. God's not going to miss an extra sheep. You know, God doesn't really need a sheep anyway. He went from withholding a gift to God, no big deal, to a punishment that was greater than he could bear. If we're not willing to give God our best, what else are we going to take from him? You know, I'm always hopeful. I'm a very positive person. I really am. And I'd like to think that maybe this story would have gone differently if Cain had just asked one question. The story might have gone completely differently. Eve might have got her hero. Eve might have had her good boy who was going to save her. If Cain had just asked one question, is this what God wants? Is it? Is, is what I'm doing here, is what I'm doing now, is this, is this what God wants? Am I giving God what he asked for? Am I giving God my best? Am I giving with the best of intentions? Not just for what I can get. Not just for what I can get from God. Not just for what I can get from other people. Not just for, for what I can get and the things that I want to get and the things that I like and the way I want to see it done. Am I giving God my best? Am I giving God my best with my best attitude? With my best effort? Am I giving God my best? Is this... Is this what God wants? Whether it's... Am I giving with, with my best intentions? Not, not for what I can get out of it. Whether, whether it's the glory of being seen, doing the right thing, or even getting my own way. Can I look at my gift, uh, my gift of money, my gift of resources, my gift of time, my gift of energy, and say, this, this is what God wants. Am I giving God my best? You know, the beautiful thing about that is he gives us his best. Abel gave the firstborn from his flocks. Remember that? Abel gave the firstborn from his flocks. Now, Claire, on the other side of your Bible, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul describes Jesus for us in ways that we had never imagined before. In Colossians 1.15, Paul says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. Everything we need to know about who God is, we can see in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. He is the image of the invisible God. And then he says, He is the firstborn over all creation. So that He might, have, uh, he might be above all. He is the firstborn above all creation. That's not just a, a statement of who Jesus is. That's a statement of our need. He is the firstborn. He's our sacrifice. God did not just send whatever was good enough to buy us out of sin. 
God didn't just say, this will hold him. This is good enough. God gave you his best in his son, Jesus. The lives and resources that we lay before him are a reflection of what he has given us. They are a reflection of his love for us. I hate to tell this story because it's awful, but I'll tell it anyway because I'm almost done. You'd be like, well, at least he's almost done. He's going to tell us an awful story, but at least he's almost done. I heard a story years ago about a church that was having some problems with with offering times. And I'm not telling you this because we're having problems with offering times. I just want you to hear this story. And, And people just weren't giving. And so one day when they were getting ready to pass the plates and and please, whoever prays for the offering, do not do this. One day, right before they passed the plates, the, the guy saying the prayer held the plates out and said, Lord, this is exactly what we think of you. Amen. Don't do that. Okay? And it's not just about those plates. It's about the heart. What did you bring for God today? Not what's in your pocket. What's in your heart? Would you be willing to let God see your heart, see your thoughts, see your feelings, see your regard for your brothers and sisters or your regard for the people in this community who don't know him yet? Would you be willing to let God read your Facebook posts (laughs) and say, this is exactly what we think of you. This is exactly position that you have in our lives. Paul says these stories were written down as examples so that we wouldn't make the same mistakes that they made. Jesus came because God knew we would make the same mistakes that they made. And when we come to this table, It's a reminder to us that God gave us his best. What are we bringing him? What are we surrendering to him? It's not about surrendering a tithe. It's not about surrendering 10%. It's about surrendering all. It's about saying my life, who I am, who I will be known as in my home, in my community, among people who Know me, and among those who don't know me, who I will be known as belongs to you. I surrender all. Would you stand with me while we sing that, while we we offer that to God?